All right, so as we come to the book of Judges, we come to that book that chronologically in your Bible follows the book of Joshua, and it also follows the book of Joshua chronologically in the historical timeline. So Exodus and coming out of Egypt is about 1500 BC when the nation of Israel was brought out of their captivity in Egypt. The 40-year wilderness wandering, Moses dies on the east side of the Jordan River, and then Joshua leads them to the promised land with Caleb and the rest, and they conquered the land, which we spent quite a few weeks on, a couple months on, on Tuesday night in the book of Joshua while we were doing Sermon on the Mount here on Saturday nights. So Joshua steps into eternity, and now the nation of Israel, they're, they're there in the land. They don't have a great leader like Moses. They don't have a great leader like Joshua. They've had two incredible leaders back to back, and now they're sort of like they've received their inheritances, but they have to go get their inheritances as well. So they've kind of received it. It's allotted to them what land is theirs, but they have to go displace the Canaanites to take the, the land. And that was their obedience to the Lord was to remove them from the land. One way or another, those people had to leave. They're evil, they're dark, they're sinister. And to have any fellowship or any merging with those people in marriages, relationships, would destroy the people of promise. And we know in the New Testament we're told that bad company doesn't elevate good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals, First Corinthians tells us. So company is everything. And so that's what it was for them in the Mosaic Covenant that they had. And now they're in the land, and the first couple chapters of, of Judges, so Judges is about 1400 B.C. to about 1100, 1000 B.C., moving toward the time of King David, and we'll get King Saul, and then King David, and you get the history of the kings. So this is that kind of period where you went from these super strong leaders, Moses and Joshua, to the period of Judges, three, 400 years, where God would periodic periodically lift, lift up and raise up a deliverer, a leader, who not necessarily was a judge, but just was a leader, a spiritual leader. You'll see as you go through the book of Judges that he'll put a spirit on somebody, and they'll just like find another gear, and they're able to lead God's people because he puts his spirit upon them. And so we get Gideon and Samson and Deborah and Barak and all these people that are very special to us in this book. That being said, as I mentioned Tuesday night, the book is challenging in some ways because it's not all, it's not really good news. It's like when you study human history and there's certain parts of history, it's like, oh, this is a dark period of human history because these are the people of God in a covenant. They have the promises. They're set up to be successful. But what we find in this book is the nation as a whole goes into a deterioration. They deteriorate or degeneration. They go from the leadership of Moses, the, the victories of Joshua to everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. That's what happens in this book. And so as the deterioration sets in, and the first three chapters really set us up for that, then you get the chapters of deliverance, which is chapters, pretty much chapter 3 through chapter 16. So Samson, Gideon, and these people that we'll read about, and some of you already known. But then the last part of the book, chapter 17 through 21, is total depravity. So you get deterioration, then you get these cycles of deliverance, and then you get just total depravity. And honestly, throughout my 34 years walking with Jesus, every time I read the book of Judges, I feel like I'm reading about America. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels that way. But then like each time I read, it's like two years farther down the road with where we're at in our timeline. It's like, man, this is the cycle. It's like we're in this cycle as a nation. But the big difference is this. We're not in a covenant with God. The church is in a covenant with God, and our covenant isn't hindered or affected by evil men in politics or evil women in politics. Our leadership never changes. Jesus Christ is the king, whoever lead, lives and intercedes for us. 
So while you might look at a national sense with a national identity, feel like this is kind of what's happened to the greatest country in human history, which we really are. It's not even close, actually. Still, it's not about being an American. It's not even about the Constitution of these things, which are all important things that we've all benefited from, and so has human society. It's really about the church, our covenant, and how we shine for the Lord in a time like the Book of Judges, not just for America, but for the entire planet. And that's the kind of that's definitely the perspective we want to have as we go through the Book of Judges. But it's hard not to see. Just go like, wow, this is insane because this is like we're watching this movie right now play out in front of us. But don't, don't let it unsettle you, because the book of Judges can unsettle you, like today's news. But even as Christ is on the throne right now to lead us, God was on the throne then leading them. And good things happen to people who chose choose to make good decisions in the book of Judges. And as we left off on Tuesday night, I start with tonight. The book of Judges is about amazing men and women who God put his spirit upon them to do great things in a dark time. That is who we want to be. We want to be amazing women and men who God puts his spirit upon to do great things in a challenging, difficult time, which, of course, we're in. So that's our undergirding application as we go through the book of Judges topically from now till the holiday season. Okay? So now as we come to chapter 1, we the first couple chapters is sort of connecting the book of Joshua with the new direction of Judges and this timeline and these different things. And in chapter 1, we have this interesting story that we saw Tuesday night And it's like the Lord just so spoke to us on this. It was not my intention that this would be the topical study for tonight, but absolutely I thought it would be on Tuesday and confirmed by the Lord all week that this is what we're studying tonight topically. So in verse 22, as it's reviewing in chapter 1 that the people have come into the land, we read about the house of Joseph, and they've been given territory. Now the house of Joseph is Manasseh and Ephraim subdivided. And we remember in the book of Judges, the the land was divided up. They have their territory kind of up more by the Sea of Galilee. And they're to go get it, but there's war to go get it. But God's promised it to them. And so we pick it up in verse 22 tonight, and we're going to talk about the man, the man who found mercy or the man from Luz. And we read this. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel, the name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, please show us the entrance to the city and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance to the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all of his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built the city and called its name Luz, which it is its name to this day. Now we know from the context of overall scripture that the book of Judges is written looking back. So as the Holy Spirit led the author of Judges to record these three, 400 years of history, it's looking back. And this is the beginning of the time of Judges, around 1400 B.C. And when the book of Judges ends, it'll say, it actually says in the book of Judges a couple times, this is before there were kings, which implies that the book of Judges written during the time of kings. Most people ascribe the book of Judges to Samuel the prophet, who anointed both Saul to be the first king and David to be the second king. That's how most people would see it. Obviously, all scriptures God breathed, and holy men of God moved as as the Holy Spirit guided them, and they spoke, which is the case. But with that context, we realize that this man from Luz, who escaped the destroyed city of Luz, and went on to build another city of Luz in a different location, the city he built 
existed for at least four centuries after he stepped into eternity. That's insightful and beneficial as we look at this story, the men from Luz. Well, this really is a story about receiving mercy, isn't it? As we read it, we see that key phrase, show us the entrance and we will show you mercy. This is a story about a Canaanite man, much like Rahab, a Canaanite woman one generation before, had heard about the people of the Lord, had heard about the Lord. She cast her lot with the Lord. Her and her family were saved from the destruction of Jericho. And now one generation later, this man from the city of Luz, who lives in the city of Canaanites, the book of Leviticus describes Canaanites. They worship the Ashtoreths. They are completely given over to sexual depravity, much like our nation and the world. Just absolute no restraint sexual depravity. Sex with animals. Sexual depravity in the, the most debased form that God defines, which is how he defines it. So even the teenagers, you need to know, that's how God defines the most debased form of degeneration of his beauty, what he's created for a man or woman in the context of marriage. The absolute degeneration is human beings being sexually active with animals. That's what they were like in the city of Luz. Okay, so we need to know. They're very evil. And they had unwanted babies, just like in America and around the world. And unlike America, where they can cut babies to pieces in the womb and before they even birth, or birth them and then execute them, in that timeline, they just birthed them and offered up to their God. And so they'd have all the unwanted babies. So they don't go to Planned Parenthood and they don't have government funding to do this. They just birth these babies and throw them away like they do in a lot of nations. Or in their case, they saw it as a chance to offer up to this angry God of blood and wrath. And that's what they did. So in the city of Luz, people were given over to having sex even with animals. And they had babies they didn't want. And they offered them up to heated up idols. And they put living babies that are so beautiful, like my grandson just here with me before service. Little Bonbon, Bonnie. He was born so beautiful into the world to our daughter Leah, who is just here during worship. And in that society, they're so depraved, so given over. God said there's no hope for the Amorites. He said that to Abraham. Their iniquity was full, and they would take their babies, and they would place this beautiful baby, like a whole hospital, on an altar heated with fire as a sacrifice, and they would think they could get away with it. And they did not get away with it. They were doomed. In fact, all the Canaanites, all the seven tribes of the Amorites were under God's wrath, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, just like Noah's generation, and just like entire planet Earth this day, under God's wrath. In fact, we're all under the wrath of the Lamb. In the book of Revelation, which looks forward, when the end game comes and the four horsemen of the apocalypse and all that there in Revelation chapter 6, when God's wrath, not man's wrath, when God's wrath is poured out on planet Earth, those that are alive in a decreased population, which is what the globalists want right now, they will say, the wrath of the Lamb has come and who is able to stand? And they'll seek to hide from the Lord. They'll be out in the open. The spiritual realm, the dimension, the eternal dimension that we don't see, but we see by faith, we know is there. It'll be out in the open. And people will know that they're fleeing from the wrath of the Lamb in that great tribulation period, which Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Later on in the book of Revelation, we're told that Jesus takes a sickle and he cuts it through humanity and it's a sickle of wrath, and the blood fills to the horse's bridle. Then we're told when he comes in that image glory of Revelation 19 to establish his kingdom on earth, 
He's coming essentially to deal out wrath on an unbelieving world. Whereas Matthew tells us the sheep are separated from the goats, those that will enter the kingdom, those that won't, the good fish, the bad fish, all those things. He's coming in his glory with his angels and gathering all from the world, and he will judge them. And we're told in 1 Corinthians, there's a throne of judgment. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, and we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we persuade men to repent and believe in Jesus. This entire planet is a ticking time bomb under the wrath of God, just like Noah's generation, Sodom and Gomorrah, the city of Luz. It's all moving toward the end game. And all the raging against God, godless men who suppress the truth and ungodliness, Romans 1, they're under God's wrath. This is why Jonathan Edwards, in the mid-1700s, before the revolution, right about the time of the French-Indian War, had such an incredible revival as he went through the colonies in a time of great upheaval in American history, the colonies. And his famous sermon was, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The most famous sermon ever preached, probably in human history, apart from the ones that are in the Bible, like Acts 17 with Paul. And it changed the colonies. It changed the mindset of the people. And it birthed a nation. Of course, the irony of, again, like the time of Judges, when my wife was going to UCSD, she had a professor, had everyone read that message, mocking it. But just because someone mocks the wrath of God doesn't mean they're not under the wrath of God. This is the whole counsel of God. And in a generation of softness, retreating, retraction, people forget we are all under God's wrath until we come to the cross. And the cross of all things declares the wrath of God. For the wrath of the Father on us is displayed on his Son. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. And so all the wrath of God is on his Son. Behold the man, bloody, beaten, bruised, and beyond recognition, a man of sorrows, and we esteemed him not, Isaiah the prophet said. Jesus on the cross is the wrath of God displayed to all humanity. And the judgment of people like the city of Luz is the wrath of God displayed for time, and time, space, and matter for us to learn from. For we're told even the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is an example that we would learn not to go after strange flesh in future generations. You can't confine Sodom and Gomorrah to a limited Old Testament, which you wouldn't do with the Old Testament anyways. But the New Testament affirms, like, this is a warning for us, the Church of Jesus Christ, 2021. And even as they were under wrath for the strange flesh, so too, Romans 1 tells us, all humanity is under wrath of God for pursuing strange flesh and all the sins that people seek after. And our society cancels grace and truth, but even more so, wrath and judgment. And they are both absolutely true. So we say perfect justice has to have perfect judgment, and perfect judgment is wrath. So mercy, for me, when I gave my life to Christ in the spring of 87, for you, if you've given your life to Christ, mercy is passing from under God's wrath to under his grace. It's passing from death to life, from condemnation to justification. Remember what Jesus said about darkness and light. Men love darkness so they don't come to light because their evil deeds will be exposed. For the Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world is already condemned. So we're already condemned and under wrath. 
The message of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, the Great Commission in Mark 16, Matthew 28, is to go on all authority under Christ and make disciples and win people to Christ. And when you see the book of Acts and you see the preaching of the apostles there in the book of Acts, particularly like Acts chapter 3, Peter is pleading with his Jewish brethren to repent from their sins and come from being under wrath to being forgiven and that times of refreshing may come. And then as Paul the Apostle went out into that Roman world and he preached at Mars Hill and Thessalonica and Corinthian, Corinth in these places, he implored people, he begged people to turn from sin and being under the wrath of God to be saved by grace and faith in Jesus Christ, to receive him as Lord and Savior, as he said to Philippian jailer, when he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus, you and your household. And he passed from death to life, the Philippian jailer. He heeded the message of mercy and grace in the person of Jesus Christ. So this message, this story, is about a man condemned, a man and his family under God's wrath, in a city under wrath, in a people group under absolute perfect justice of wrath of God to be executed by the people of God in their context of their covenant. The church never has that, but they did. And their obedience is to fulfill that. We've talked about this going through the five books of Moses. Extremely difficult. There's a lot of things that are difficult that you need to do when you obey the Lord. But they had received mercy. Israel had received mercy. They would receive future mercy with the judges and the kings. Individuals would receive mercy. As a nation, they received mercy. God brought them back from Babylon. That's quite an act of mercy for a rebellious people group that cast them aside before they went away. So this man from Luz is really about a man finding mercy who was under wrath, which means he could be my neighbor, he could be your neighbor, he could be the person you see in the mirror if you're unsaved and never given your life to Christ. And if you are saved, you look in the mirror, you were that woman from Luz. You were the woman from Luz. At some point, If you gave your life to Christ and you're saved and you passed from death to life, you were the woman from Luz. And I was the man from Luz. And I was in a city appointed for wrath, like Sodom and Gomorrah. As an individual, I was under wrath, like the inhabitants of the days of Noah. But yet, on this day, he's not only the man from Luz, he's the man who found mercy. So the first thing we understand here this evening is what the... Israelites offer this man is what the church of Jesus Christ proclaims, presents, and offers humanity. Mercy. God's mercy. We don't say to the man, show us how to get into city and take the city. We say to the man, this is what you must do to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We're not asking how to do something from the world. We are telling the world, believe me, hear me. You see, in their context, please show us the entrance to the city. We are declaring the entrance to heaven. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We're offering people the pass from death to life. We're offering people like the man of Luz to, in a condemned standing, to come out from under the wrath, to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved by faith and grace, and to get a second chance on life, to be born again. For if anyone be in Christ, a new creation, all things have passed away, all things are new. 
That's the message of the gospel. So even as it says here that they went up against Bethel and the Lord was with them, the church goes out from Jerusalem and the Lord is with us. So we so bountifully our time, our energy, our prayers, and our resources to the ends of the earth as a church in support of the good news of Jesus Christ. And for every missionary that we support, for every dollar, hundreds of thousands that go out from this small church, we are not telling people, how do we, asking people, how do we take this city? We are supporting people who are declaring to humanity in many different tongues, tribes, and ethnicities how to find mercy through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The authority they had for wrath is the same authority we have for mercy and grace. And as they granted mercy to this man with the authority God gave them, so too, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are citizens of heaven. So when you wake up in the house you're in and you have your neighbors and you have your community and you have your workplace, we are ambassadors of Christ and we have the same type of authority But we're not there to say, how do we destroy the city? We're there to say, how you can be saved. And as they had the authority to offer mercy to a condemned person, we have the authority of the church for the the keys of the kingdom have been given to us. Whatever we loosen on earth is loosened in heaven, and what's loosened in heaven is loosened in earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The world is filled with eight billion men of lose and women of lose, including the redeemed in this room. And that's really what this story is about. It's about finding mercy from the God of mercy. I think the church in 2021 greatly underestimates the wrath of God and the mercy of God. So easily we get scattered with inconvenience. Not you. Hopefully not me. Not us. God is shaking his church right now. First he shakes and then he judges. For Jesus said, things will be shaken, the things that are solid will remain. And then we're told in Hebrews that judgment's coming and it begins where? In the house of God. If I look at the last year and a half, I would say it's a judgment. It's a shaking. And things that can fall away have fallen away. And things that are solid are remaining. If you need an excuse not to go to church anymore... (laughs) <laughs> on December 31st, 2019, you found your excuses. But you're not here. You're here, which means you didn't need an excuse. And you want to be in the house of the Lord. The church has the keys to the kingdom. And even as the Israelites from the tribe of Joseph had the authority to offer this man mercy, we are the ambassadors of mercy. And as Paul said, we're pleading with people to be reconciled to God. And we might feel like we've received mercy, and I might feel like I've received mercy, but in the end, it's been so often said by people like Billy Graham and Greg Laurie, if we really believe in the wrath of God, we'd be, have much greater urgency to share Christ with other people and to humble ourselves to the benefit of other people. To really have our hearts break for the lost, like the great saints of old who changed the world and gave up so many comforts to do that. I think that really is the spirit of this church. I I believe that as a whole, most of us are very generous and very willing and care very much about our neighbors and our enemies. And if we don't, we're, we're recognizing that and we're growing and trying to go forward from that.
All I know is when I look at this text, they had the authority to grant mercy. And the church has the great commission to declare mercy, that people can find mercy. We offer mercy. Jesus, when we offer Jesus, we are offering the man of blues and the woman of blues mercy and an escape from wrath and condemnation and death. Another thing we see here, so we offer the mercy, but we see there has to be an action response to mercy. For in verse 25, it says that he showed them the entrance to the city. We talk about when the gospel is preached, there's an urgency. Now, last Sunday during the Harvest Crusade, God bless great glory, but during the Harvest Crusade, we had one of our congregants were there, and they kept sending myself and Jennifer photos. They were there early for the meeting for the, you know, the, the ushers and stuff. And then they showed Phil Wickham warming up. And then they showed the place full. And then they showed the thousands of people on the field. It was, I felt like I was there. I mean, you could have watched online. We all know that. You can go Google it and watch it online if you want to tonight. But someone was sharing with us the Harvest Crusade through their eyes as they were serving Jesus at it. And it was very special to me and my wife last Sunday. It was very special indeed. And when Greg Laurie brought the gospel to a head there at Anaheim Stadium, even as Billy Graham did and Billy Sunday and D.L. Moody and Charles Finney and so many others, Amy Carmichael, Elizabeth Elliott, all these different wonderful men and women that precede us in time, space, and matter, missionaries, evangelists, prophets, prophetesses. When the gospels preach, there is a need for action and response with urgency. And this man... Verse 25, he showed them the entrance to the city. Let's ask ourselves, what would have happened had this man not showed them the entrance to the city? He and his family would have perished with the city. On this day, a doomed man under wrath comes upon a situation where the people of promise are there, and they're like, hey, we're offering you mercy right now. And he recognized it, the urgency of it, And he responded with urgency. He did the one thing that he needed to do. And so often when you think about things like the Harvest Crusade or when people go forward or say a prayer, when you say, hey, you bring them to an apex or the high tide line, would you like to receive Christ right now? I've done many altar calls under many different circumstances with many different people, even around the world. And you present the gospel and you you bring them to an apex. When D.L. Moody shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people of Chicago, there's a particular night he did it, the famous evangelist, and even now the, the Moody Bible Institute still in Chicago, and he preached the gospel, and he said, come back tomorrow and we'll finish this sermon. That night was the famous Chicago fire. Mrs. O'Leary's cow, and the rest is history. There was no church on tomorrow. There was no day two of the crusade. It's kind of like the air show last week, right? I was so pumped for Sunday to go see the air show all day Sunday. All it takes is the wrong button being pushed on an oil derrick and there's no air show, there's no surfing, there's nobody on the beach a week later. It's like that, like, you're like, oh, we can go to the air show tomorrow and in fact, Sam was going to go on Sunday. I had him so pumped up Saturday night. Dude, it's the best. Blue Angels, it's like, oh, it's the best. I don't even know how to describe it. You got to be there when they come over the power plant. It's just like, and he was so pumped. He was coming to our house. I had the beach umbrella for him. I had everything. I was going to drop him off. I, I, I had him all set up right there at Newland. It was like, going to happen. And at 7 in the morning, I found out there's no air show. The day to go to the air show in 2021 was Friday or Saturday. And you thought it was going to be there Sunday, but was it there Sunday? 
I picked up my dad at convalescent living at 10.30 in the morning, drove on PCH. I, I wanted to see what the beach looked like empty. It wasn't empty because 50,000 people came from the Inland Empire thinking they're going to go to the air show. And by noon, they're all cleared off the beach. I sat there at 17th Street, all these people with their kids and everything and their flags and their beach chairs. They're no air show. And you're going to get run off this beach because of the oil spill. That's what it's going to be like for people with eternity. Their chance for the gospel was on Saturday, not Sunday. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. That's why the apex of people making a decision for Christ, or we encourage people and we invite them, we don't save anybody. See, this is where it's good to understand the sovereignty of God. He chooses to work through human beings, but he closes the deal. His word works in people's hearts, piercing bone and marrow, soul and spirit, like the man of Luz. I don't have to win anybody. I don't need to win any arguments. I don't need to do anything. I need to present Jesus. And if I'm a fool, I'm a fool. If that's what they think, that's what they think. But Christ uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And people get saved. Those who are perishing, it's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, he's precious. He's the Savior. We need urgency. I need urgency. Because we think people get to go to the air show tomorrow, and we promise them a beach umbrella and a park at our house and a ride to the beach. But they may not have an air show tomorrow. This was the day that you need to go to the air show on Friday or Saturday. And you think it's going to be there tomorrow, but it's not. And that's the way it was for the man from Luz. He couldn't say, can I go home and think about this offer of mercy? Can I discuss it with my wife? Take a straw poll of my teenage kids and see if they're on board with this plan? (laughs) They know what's going on. Kind of sell it to them, frame it a certain way, get their buy-in. Can I go get my neighbor's opinion? Like, what are the chances that the tribe of Joseph really is going to roll us I mean, how do we really know it's true? Just because God was faithful to destroy Jericho doesn't mean he's going to be faithful to destroy Luz. Like, you see how you can talk yourself out of... Like, urgency is the moment. When my wife gave her life to Christ, and I was there before she was my wife, and a bunch of the surfers responded to this gospel message from my testimony and Brian Broderson preaching the gospel... They responded, and I watched her respond. And today's her birthday, and I've been thinking about this. She's never looked back or double clutch from that moment. She was the woman at the city of Luz, 21 in the flower of her youth. And she heard the gospel, and she fled to the place of mercy. And she made that definitive decision that changed her life. And I'm blessed for it. The apex, the flashpoint, this is the day the Lord has made. Give us this day our daily bread. Today is the day of salvation. The man from Luz responded with urgency. We need to be moved with urgency and we need to pray and love and share with urgency. Not panic. Because one plants and other waters, and the Lord gives the increase. But we, we need to have urgency with eternity. We need to have urgency with the mercy of God. Because the moment someone steps into eternity, there is no second chance for the mercy of God. It's only in time, space, and matter. It's this day. And this man responded. He responded with no looking back. 
when mercy was offered on the cusp of wrath and judgment in time, space, and matter, he responded with urgency. You know, Noah was a preacher of righteousness to his generation. He probably preached till the day he went in the ark. Nobody responded, although there's interesting words about Noah preaching to the dead in 1 Peter that I've never understood. I still don't understand. I just reread it. I don't quite understand that passage. It's a tricky passage. When Abraham pleaded for Sodom and Gomorrah under the wrath, the angels went to deliver Lot, his nephew, and they thought he was joking. But it happened, and the angels actually had to grab him to pull him out of the city to save his life. And again, as I mentioned earlier, this planet's under the wrath, and the time of mercy is on the clock. And as people mock the return of the Lord, as people mock the church, as people make fun of Christians in almost every form of society, always negative. But a couple things to think about this. First, Second Peter chapter 3 tells us, as people mock the return of the Lord, as they mock his coming, we're told, don't forget this, one day is, a day is as a thousand years with the Lord. And he's not slack concerning his coming. But long-suffering, he is merciful. So as a world mocks Christians, blames Christians for everything wrong on planet Earth in 2021, know this, Jesus is coming. And the time of grace and mercy is on the clock. And we cannot let persecution, slander, and malice against the followers of Christ, keep us from being the followers of Christ the way we're meant to be. YouTube has all kinds of these videos that play like Bible verses with soft music for like 10 hours if you want to do that. It's very peaceful sleeping. Now I have the ear pods, I put them in. It's, oh, this one, eight hours is Bible verses all night long while I'm sleeping. And one of these, one of these ones that I got it, uh, that I listen to, and it's like this soft voice. You can get the woman's voice. You can get the old, like the old guy voice, the younger guy voice. This voice is like this, this. So it starts with Psalm 37. So in the middle of the night when I go to sleep, whenever that is, it says, uh, it, it starts with this. But I want to read to you this, this passage from Psalm 37. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but he shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of his peace. Nighty night. That's where it's going. So don't fret because of the evildoer. They're under wrath. Don't let them stir you up. We're not appointed to wrath. We're delivered from wrath, the church. And we want to encourage people under wrath to pass from wrath to justification. That's what we want to see happen. But they got to be brought to an apex. I thought of the people at the Harvest Crusade that went forward, and I thought... How many of those people are going to die in the next year? How important was it for them to respond that night? Right? 
Thousands of people went forward. You're going to tell me those thousands of people, at least mathematically, just looking at the age and doing demographics, for sure. Some of those people that, for the first time, heard the gospel and went down on the field, fleeing the wrath to come, they passed from death to life, and they are stepping to eternity. They're not going to get to go build another Luz, city of Luz. All they can do is save themselves and maybe their family. Which brings us to the final point of tonight. The legacy of mercy. So we have the offer of mercy through Jesus Christ. We have the action to respond to mercy through the man of Luz and grabbing it and the urgency and the reality of the gospel. But then we have this last thing, the legacy of mercy. So the legacy of mercy for this man of Luz is that he and his family, they let go. It's like the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your family. They were, it's like Cornelius' household in Acts 10 when Peter's preaching. The Holy Spirit fell. They believed. They got saved. They got baptized. So the first great thing of mercy, of course, is the passing from death to life and from the wrath to justification. From Adam for all sin and die to in Christ where all are justified and made alive. To be born again. To be a new creation. But then... For we're not saved by works, but we are his workmanship. For it's God who wills and works in us for his good pleasure. This man from Luz, he goes out and he builds a city. He builds a city and calls it Luz. So this is what we're really talking about on Tuesday night. So we're going to close tonight really thinking about this for a few moments. He had a second chance. This man had a second chance in life. Max Lucado, the famous author, had written in a book years ago, and he called, he had this chapter called A Little Bit of Hanging, where you almost die. Like, maybe there's an accident and other people were killed in the car, but you walked away. That happens. Like, there's, there's, I think there's like a TV show on Amazon Prime or something, like, I survived. So like, everyone drowned in a ship except you, everyone died on a plane except you, and what's it like to be the survivor? That's this guy! That's the man from Luz. The whole city went up. His neighbors died like planet Earth. It was there, and he heard, and he responded. He got out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the brimstone fell. He got a second chance on life with God. Now, we have cancer survivors. That's a second chance. If you had cancer and you survived cancer, you get follow-up treatments and stuff like that, but you get a second chance. When we survived, what did we do? When the people came back from the prison camps in Japan, what did we do? Louis Zamperini gave his life to Christ and changed the world, right? Unbroken, the movie, the life, the book. When you beat death, when you dodge a bullet, what do you do? You find in near-death experiences, some people just don't even take life seriously anymore and they go completely the wrong way. You think they get serious about seeing God? They do the exact opposite. It's intrigue and be merry for tomorrow we die. But the man from Luz was not like that. He got very serious about life. And he did something that we don't, know, we don't know what this man was like. Was this man involved in the city council? Was he an elder in the gates of the city? Was he friends with the mayor? Did he hate the mayor? Did he have fights with the mayor? Was he as idolatrous as his neighbors? Did he offer up children? Was he sexually perverse without restraint? We don't know. He's just the man from Luz walking out that found mercy on the day of the Lord and the day of mercy. That's who he is. But we do know is his legacy is his 
obedience and right response to mercy. Because remember, the tribe of Joseph, the Lord was with them, offering it to him. That he did change his life. He did do the one thing he needed to do. It saved him. It saved his family. And then with the rest of his life, he did something worth doing. He rebuilt a city. The city that was destroyed under wrath, he built again. Now, we don't know if it was a great city or a bad city or whatever. We just know it was the city of second chance. That's what it was. And my life, your life in Christ, is the life of second chance. It's the life of second chances. I had a gun pointed to my head when I was 19 in a robbery. To my head, I had to lay on the ground with a gun to the back of my head. I was in the open ocean in 50-foot seas, and I took, tried to take my life once and ended up in a straitjacket. I can think of three times where for sure I got a get-out-of-jail card and got a second chance on life. And you all know me well enough to know I am so grateful that I obeyed my calling into ministry. He is no fool who gives it that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And what a rich, wonderful life. You know the Sweetens. Many of you know the Sweetens. Uh, Noah Sweeten, the oldest, is in Virginia Beach now with the Coast Guard, and he's looking for a church. And they texted me, hey, can you give us the church? And so I texted him, you know, the two churches where the former congregation I pastored is at, Christ Community Church with Jimmy Coates, and then uh, Calvary Chapel, Virginia Beach with Thomas Powell. And you know, I cried when I wrote the text today. Because I'm just so happy. 30 plus years ago, my wife and I moved to Virginia Beach, had lots of children, served the Lord, and a good seed remains. I built a city in Virginia Beach. And I have a place to tell Noah, Sweeten, and his beautiful wife in his new career in the Coast Guard, they go be with Jimmy and Dee Coates, who love me and Jennifer so much. They can be with Jim O'Connor and Pam O'Connor, who planted the church in Vermont with us. I said, when you go to the church down there, you, go for, you see who Jim O'Connor is, and he's as different from me as anyone you'll ever meet. But just know this, he's WG. That's what I said, and that's all the Sweetens need to know. He's WG. That's like the code, like they know. You go see Thomas Powell over by Regent University, you'll see the Stainbacks and Bo Whittington, one of our deacons. See, that's what the second chance gives you. It's what it gave me. When we give our life to Christ, our life is no longer our own. And the story we would have written in the city of Luz, in black and white, in unbelief, under wrath, it gives way to the city of glorious color. The city birthed from mercy received and mercy applied. Lives saved and a second chance. And so I would just really bring us all to head with this key thought that every day is an opportunity to build the better city than the one that we escaped from. That's what I learned from the man from Luz. That when we receive mercy in Jesus Christ, and we have that calling from Jesus Christ, to serve as a pastor, to serve as a deacon, to serve in the children's ministry, to, put, to do words on the screen, whatever it is we might do, to serve people in Jesus' name, you are building a better city than the one that was destroyed. You've passed from death to life. You've passed from the city of doom to the city of, with that's a, a city of gold, the New Jerusalem. And everything we're letting God do in and through our lives in 2021, it's the good work of the glorious kingdom. The new city of Luz for us is the work of God in and through our lives 
and then we step into eternity. So let him build. And I would say get after it too. I mean, a man from Luz could just go like, oh man, we dodged a bullet. Let's go live with Uncle Canaanite up there and just get drunk. He said, no, we dodged a bullet. Let's build this city again. Let's build it all over. Let's build it better. And 400 years later, that city was still there. We want the legacy of our life touched by the grace of Jesus Christ under the mercy of Jesus Christ to well outlast us as a testament that God is faithful to his people who look to him and trust in him. Let the Lord Jesus Christ build that city through you, the city that eyes not seen or ear heard that he's prepared for you to make your life completely fulfilled in what you're meant to be until you breathe your last for all eternity. That's the lesson from the man from Luz. He became a better man. He built a better city. And he had a better story for it. Let God write it.